we're going to go ahead and do part four of our fasting uh, series and, uh, you know, just just go through what it means to fast like the church. That's kind of our topic tonight. So uh, we'll open with a word of prayer and uh, we'll go from there. Jesus, uh, thank you. You are uh, you are good. We, we come to you today and uh, we humbly take your word, not because we understand it entirely, not because uh, we are so great, but because you are great. We want to understand. We want to know. We want to see Jesus above all things. Lord, if that's not, not the desire of our heart tonight, then I pray that you change our hearts, that you would change us so that we would desire what you want, that we would have the desires of our hearts changed so that uh, we want to accomplish what you seek to do, that we, we adopt your mission rather than force our mission upon you. And so, Father, when it comes to fasting, we simply want to understand it and utilize it as you have called us to it um, and, and not, not go off and deviate into false religion and not uh, do something needlessly, but to truly have a, a weapon in our faith, Lord. We, we pray for this tonight in the name of Jesus. Give us understanding. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, we've been dealing with fasting uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, going on a couple of months, and uh, for the future, Wednesday nights, um, Wednesday night's always a Bible study night, it's a night where we get together, it's, we're a lot more loose, you know, we're, I'm not even wearing shoes right now, so, you know, we're just not as formal as we kind of are maybe on a Sunday, but for all intents and purposes, Wednesday night is discipleship, it's where we become disciples, um, it's where the rubber meets the road of what we get taught on Sunday that it gets kind of honed on a Wednesday night. So over the next few weeks and months and throughout the rest of this year, Wednesday night will be uh, somewhat of a discipleship class or discipleship time um, where we share with one another the things we're going through. My hope is that you will continue to become disciples. Um, the indicator that you are a disciple is that you want to be discipled. Um, the disciples who hung out with Jesus, uh, they were called to him. He said things like, um, you know, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they followed. They dropped their nets. They took off after Jesus. And so if that's your desire, then you are becoming a disciple. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're headed down the right road. So part of discipleship is, is fasting. Now, we don't fast all the time. Praise God for that because there's a lot of good food. But there are times where we're going to have to fast. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 6 and 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be not, uh, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's an assumption by the Lord that we would continue continue to fast um, beyond what is commanded in the Old Testament. Old Testament command to fast really was only on the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year. Um, and if that was the only assum uh, the only time assumed by the Lord in this statement, it would be kind of weird for him to say, "Don't let anybody else know that you're fasting." If everybody's called to fast on the same day. When you get to the Day of Atonement, and everybody's just quiet about it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, are you fasting? No, I'm not fasting, but we're supposed to fast today. I know, but I can't tell you that I am. This doesn't make any sense. 
Um, and so there's an assumption that beyond that day we would fast as Christians. Um, and so we want to – if we're going to do it, if we're going to spend any amount of time abstaining from anything that we might like or, or really enjoy, I want to make sure that we're, we're doing it for the right reasons, that we aren't caught up in religion, and that what we're doing is actually going to bear really good fruit. We're going to actually see changed lives because we fasted. Fasting, basically, just to recap a little bit, fasting is, is just abstaining from something. You can fast from food. That's generally the, the, the thing that's fasted from the most. But one of the big fastings nowadays is fasting from things like the Internet. The Internet has just completely infiltrated our lives. I am on the Internet. Practically because of my phone, I'm on the Internet 24 hours a day. My phone is never never ceases to be on the Internet or my computer or my iPad or whatever. But actively engaged in it, it happens all throughout the day. Whether I'm looking for news, connecting with people in social media, or, or, or designing things, or, or researching, or, or studying the word, or, or just goofing off and playing games, I, the internet is just – it's involved in our lives. So it, it happens so quickly that um, we have to abstain from it sometime. We have to fast from it to realize that this digital – aspect of our life is not everything. No, it's just part of our life. Um, and Christians should fast. Jesus said, when you fast, he plans on us fasting, and so we should plan on fasting too. Jesus said, don't don't fast like the Pharisees. You know, they fast for the wrong reasons. They, they, they might be fasting, but the purpose behind it is dumb, and you should not do it like that. They want to be seen. They want people to applaud them. And Jesus said, that's not why you're going to fast. Fasting is not a trick to get God to do things. Um, any more than your child abstaining from eating will make you do anything. Pretty much the same scenario. If a child says they want a bike and they're not going to eat till you give them a bike, you tell them good luck with that. And you know eventually they're going to eat anyways. It's not a tantrum that we're throwing. We are... Uh, not trying to force God's hand, what we are ultimately trying to do is to adopt God's will. Because there are times where he wants to, let's say he wants to bless us or give us good things or love us, and we're not fighting him on that. You know, we're not telling him, you know, we're not, we're not running from that part of his will, but there's times where he calls us to preach the gospel, to live a life that's different than the rest of the world, to do things that aren't very popular, to do things that aren't in our nature, and uh, we're going to struggle against that. Fasting can be a tool used to, to knock down ourselves so that we might build up what God wants in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 9, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So, Contrast that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his death. He, he is God the Son going before God the Father, saying, Father, you have every power to free me from this. I am greatly troubled. He's sweating great drops of blood. He's in great distress. Um, he's asked his disciples to pray with him at a distance. They've fallen asleep. So in every sense of the word, he's alone, and he's praying, and he ultimately says, but 
not my will be done, your will be done. And so even after vocalizing his um his his anxieties or or his uh his fear of what might be happening um at the end at the result of his prayer is lord your will be done just as he commands us to do um praise god that we have a god that that doesn't just talk the talk he walks the walk as well he he has done what he has commanded us to do so i, I take a lot of solace in that we've looked at three different types of fasting uh and when i I, I name this. I you know I called it fasting like David, or fasting like Daniel, or fasting like the disciples. They all fasted, but they fasted for different reasons. David was in great distress because he had sinned greatly, and he had a child that was on its way, um, and the child was going to die. And so, in great distress, he decided to fast, hoping that the Lord would change his mind. But what he does instead is change David. Um, Daniel fasted for separation and sanctification he was given permission to eat foods that God had told him not to eat and to not be defiled by the king's food he took part in what we would call nowadays a Daniel fast he said give me and my buddies here you know fruits and vegetables and water uh, instead of the sumptuous fare of the king and the wine that I would get because uh, I'm not really allowed to eat that. And I'm going to honor God. Even as a slave to the king, I'm still going to honor God first. And so he fasted to uh, be separated and sanctified. Uh, third, we looked at the disciples. They they were trying to cast out a demon, and it wasn't working. It There was a big fight, and instead of, instead of trying to get to the answer of how to free this demon-possessed boy... Um, they began fighting with the scribes and the Pharisees as to how how you get a, a demon out, which you, know, you have men who, who can't cast out a demon trying to prove they know how to cast out a demon. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Jesus shows up, says this kind comes out or this type comes out only by prayer and fasting. And so we see fasting used in deliverance, both from uh, the demonic and from, from sin or, or from any kind of situation where we've been oppressed or enslaved tonight we're going to look at the church and how we can not just copy what they have done but see why they've done what they've done to accomplish what what we want as well they had a decision to make the church jesus has ascended the holy spirit has come down and filled god's people the church is slowly being established and they need to make a decision in order to make that decision, they begin fasting. So turn to Acts chapter 13. And uh, if you've been here uh, a few times over the last few uh, weeks and months, we've kind of hovered in, in, in Acts chapter 13. Uh, it, it, the Lord keeps bringing it to my mind. He keeps bringing it through these teachings, um, what the early church did. And uh, I believe that a lot of what the early church did that we find in the book of Acts, um, it would be a great benefit to the church not to just copy what they've done, but to look at the hearts of the people and see and see what it's like for, for the men and the women and the families whose only desire was to do the will of the Lord, to see the great victories, to see the, 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 the suffering they went through, to see the, de the dedication that they had. Um, we can learn a great deal from them. Acts chapter 13, 
verse 1 says this, Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and Saul would later become Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Tonight, I want us, if we can walk away with anything, it's the idea that fasting is more than just not eating. It's an act of worship. So worship is, when you talk about worship in the church, most people identify first with music. They say, well, that was the worship service. That was the worship leader. You know, when you talk about, uh, you know, what's your favorite worship CD or your worship band, you know, primarily worship has become synonymous with music. But music is like a tool. Fasting is like a tool in the act of worship. You can worship God without music, but praise God we have music and get to use it for um, worship. Fasting is the same is is used in much the same way. We can express our worship through the Old Testament calls it affliction by setting aside something as primal as food to um, to reach God. Um, let me give you an analogy. I meant to bring it with me, but I forgot it at home. Um, you know, a hammer. You know, everybody here has used a hammer, right? A hammer is a pretty common tool. A hammer is a tool to get a desired effect. Nobody looks at a hammer and says, oh, I have a finished house. You look at or, – or a finished project. You say, I have a hammer. It's a tool so that I can achieve the finished project, the finished house. Music, fasting, in and of itself, is not the act of worship. It's the tool in the desired effect, which is worship. And so the hammer, in the analogy, is not is not repair. It's not it's not what you want. It's the effect that comes from it that you desire. We're going to talk about some more wrong views of fasting because as much as as there is to know about what fasting is, we have to make sure that we don't stumble into um, wrong views of fasting. And the first is this, and we can pull this out of this if we're not uh, paying attention. Fasting won't make the Holy Spirit talk to you. Anytime there is a religious practice that we undertake and it seems like we are having a hostage negotiation with God, I can assure you that those times are very unfruitful. Um, if, you, if you feel like there's something you can do to twist God's arm to get what you want, I can guarantee you not only are you not going to get what you want, but you may be talking to the wrong person. And you have a, a, a lack of reverence, and you have a lack of respect for the God that we serve. The, the disciples here aren't fasting and then thus, you know, twisting God's arm. Hey, we're fasting. Tell us what to do. They're fasting because they do want God to talk to them. But God's still under no obligation to talk to them. But in the same way that a, an adult is under no obligation to a child, a father will still, even though they're not obliged to to give every detail, a father still talks to a child, doesn't he? 
He still he still shares with them. He still loves them. He still uh, welcomes them into their into his life and presence. God the Father does the same. Has no has no. Uh, he doesn't have to explain things to us, but there are times where he does. Fasting is is not asceticism. It's just a fancy word for inflicting pain upon yourself. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, was known before you know he before he understood we are saved by grace and not by works. Uh, he would afflict himself. You know, he was in a region of the world where they would have very severe winters just like ours. And, and because he felt so distressed and so uh, dirty because of his sinful nature, he would go outside and lay in the snow or lay in the cold uh, to show his, his, um, uh, his desire for God and how, how ashamed he was of what he had done. He would afflict himself. And he would, um, he would eat rotten food or he would not eat food at all he would he would inflict pain upon himself to show god look how sorrowful i am um asceticism is just that it's it's i'm going to hurt myself um to show you how sorry i am or to show you uh how religious i am and the problem with with that is that fasting whether it's in that form or some other form um excuse me whether it's whether it's viewed as asceticism or or what have you fasting there are times where fasting can be counterproductive um the the church here they are going to fast because they need to know what to do they need to know who to send out the problem here is not food the issue is hearing the voice of the lord if the focus is so much on food, you've really just shifted focus from one way to the other. You haven't shifted focus back upon God. Your shift, your, your focus rather, is is on the food that you are neglecting, and nothing's really working. You're you're not, you are focusing on the wrong problem. Um, so let's say your issue is something like, uh, we'll we'll go back to deliverance, but uh, something like smoking. Uh, or or uh, uh, alcoholism, and so you begin fasting from food uh, to hear from the Lord or to be delivered or whatnot. But if your focus is only on the food, now what you've got here is you've got the withdrawal of the alcohol or or, or the, the smoking or whatever, and now you got the withdrawal of the food as well. You're making things worse for yourself. Um, it's not that you can't do it in those scenarios. You totally can. But when your focus is on the wrong thing, it becomes counterproductive. And now you find yourself um, – it's like it's like trying to, to tame a lion or trying to hold on to a lion, and it just, it just thrashes you because the more you try to suppress it, the more crazy or rebellious it becomes. And so we've got to view fasting in the right light. Fasting can and will empty you. And so if you imagine yourself like a bucket, fasting is a way that empties – it can be used in a way to empty you out so that you can you can be presented before the Lord and have him fill you up again. John Piper wrote a book called A Hunger for God. It's a, it's a really good book about fasting. 
Um, he, he said this, this is a quote from him. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And so the idea is this, is there are times where we fast not because um, we, are, we are empty, but because we've been filled up with the wrong stuff. You know, you take a bucket, you fill it up with water, you fill it up with sand. They're both filled, but they're filled with two elements, two different elements. If we're filled up with the things of the world, or we've we've sort of, as John Piper has said, nibbled at the things of the world, and we've we've had our appetite sort of satisfied for a moment, um, we have to be emptied of that, and, and fasting can be used for that, so that we're no longer stuffed with the small things. We're now empty, so that we might receive the Lord. We might receive from Him. The church is at a tipping point. Uh, to use an analogy, if you've ever seen a seesaw, if you have two people on a seesaw that are exactly the same weight, there's not a lot of seesawing going on. It's just like two people on a board. Um, it tips when more weight is put on the other side than the other. Um, there, there. If you look back upon history, there have been tipping points in time where uh, just going back to the internet, the internet has been around for quite some time, but but in the early uh, 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when things like like eBay became more prevalent, uh, when chat rooms became more prevalent, when when news uh, news uh, companies began putting their news on the internet, it became a tipping point where people started flocking towards the internet. Something that had been around and kind of been seen as like a, a fringe thing suddenly infiltrated our lives. You know, there was a day and age where cell phones were uh, it's for the rich or for people who have professions that they don't want law enforcement to know about. Like you don't you, – nobody needs a cell phone, but now now everybody has a cell phone. You know, there was a tipping point where it went from being a fringe thing or, or just a few people having it to um, becoming uh, ingrained in our lives. The church at this point is – it's at a tipping point. It's going to go from – being in little pockets to sending out missionaries to begin duplicating and growing and exploding, not just in one small region, but all throughout the world. This is a huge moment. And I don't know if the disciples at this time knew that 2,000 years later we'd still be preaching about Jesus based on their decision, but they must have known how critical of a point it was to fast and to worship and to pray together. They had never sent out people like this before. Jesus sent out the disciples. He sent out like 72 of them at one point. But this was different. This was, this was, you know, Jesus has, has gone to be with the Father. Now it's just these people and the Holy Spirit going out to tell about Jesus. They had a decision to make. We have decisions to make. You know, there are times where people come to me and say, hey, I've got to do this or this. What should I do? I don't know. I feel inadequate. I have no... I have no, um, you know, if, if you make the wrong choice, I'm not really going to bear the consequences like you. I feel inadequate to help you make that choice. So what, what do we do when we have to make a decision? Well, fasting is a possibility. Here's the way that the, the disciples did it. First, the leadership went first. Um, leaders in any capacity, but especially in the church, 
they have to be following Jesus so that the rest of the people may follow them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right, to paraphrase. And so the idea is that if you're following Paul in that scenario, you're following Paul, but you're really following Christ. He's just leading you. And, and for me as the leader of this church, I can't request or, or, or challenge you to go places that I myself wouldn't go first. The leaders of this church, they began fasting. It starts off by saying there was prophets, there was teachers. There was men like Barnabas and Saul who were the leadership of that region, of that church, and they were doing this. They weren't asking the people to fast in their place. They weren't telling the people to do something they themselves weren't going to do. They were doing it first. And that's always that's, – that's, this is where hypocrisy happens when folks will say, you guys should all do this. Don't copy me. Just do what you know. Do these things I'm telling you to do. Um, a leader that will tell you to fast without fasting themselves—that's hypocrisy. They were in one accord. Um, classic pastor joke. Um, they were in one accord, but a Honda Accord's not that big of a car. It must have been a pretty big car. But don't—it's lame. Pastors sometimes don't have the best jokes. They were all in one. Accord. That means they were all united. They were different, but they were united. They all had the same common purpose. They all wanted the same thing. They didn't know how to get there, but they all wanted the same thing. You know, have you ever, you know, been with friends or family or whatever, and you just want to know what to get for dinner, and and nobody's in one accord. I want pizza. I want burgers. I want something that doesn't exist. I want something that's only available in another state. Nobody's in one accord. But when everybody can start with the, the the unity that, yes, we are all hungry, start there and then move out from that, uh, you find people getting less uh, hurt over being so hungry than, um, than people that just say, well, I just want pizza. Well, I just want this, and there's no compromise. When there's a decision to be made, we first have to be in one accord. We have to be united by Jesus. Not all the same. Praise God that we don't all have to be the same. Like we don't all have to like the same stuff. We don't all have to like the same sports or the same food or the same things to do after church or before church or, or all have the same job. We are allowed to be the people that God has called us to be. But we have to be united. You know, if you imagine us hand in hand uh, around this church and somebody's wanting to get in uh, who shouldn't be here, you have to imagine yourself uh, standing there with all the integrity because everybody else is doing the same thing. Like we're, we're all going to stand here, and we're going to protect this place uh, equally. We're all going to share this burden and this load together. They fasted before the word from the Spirit and after. This impresses me because you would think if you were fasting that at the end of fasting you'd probably be hungry. I, I fasted a few times, and when fasting is done, I want to eat. That's just what I want to do. So they fat, they're worshiping and they're fasting, and they hear this word from the Lord. Everybody knows we're going to send off Barnabas and Saul now. Everybody's been in one accord. The leadership has gone first, and they've heard this word. And instead of saying, okay, let's head to the buffet, let's all have some food, they continue to fast. Well, okay, are we all 100% sure? Is this actually what God wants? You know, uh, John tells the, the early church to test the spirits. To make sure that what you're hearing and what you're being led by is indeed Jesus. 
not just a whim. You know, I don't know Barnabas and Saul at this point in their lives. Maybe they were the maybe they were the best of the best at that point, and they wanted to make sure: Are we choosing Barnabas and Saul because we've heard from the Lord, or because they have the best statistics? They're the best speakers. They're the the most bold. Because that's the easy choice, right? It's easy when somebody's got all the talent to choose them. But but when the Lord tells you to pick somebody who maybe, you know, they're not the most gifted speaker. They don't have the most experience. They don't have all the credentials. You know, regardless, it's knowing what God wants. And so they continue to fast. We're going to keep, we're going to keep fasting. We're going to make sure that we know that for something so critical that we have actually heard from the Lord. Number four, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Just like in our last scenario with, with the disciples praying and Jesus, Jesus saying, this one only goes out by, by fasting and prayer. Fasting without prayer is just dieting. Fasting without prayer is, just, is really just a waste of time. If you're fasting and you're abstaining from food or the internet or uh, television or, or some hobby or something, but you're not fa uh, praying as well, well, you're wasting your time. Um, and, and I'm not a big fan of wasting time. I mean, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, not having to do stuff with your time. I don't consider that a waste of time. Taking a nap to me is not a waste of time. It's a good use of time, right? Laura's laughing. She knows what I'm talking about. Um, so I don't want to fast for a day. I don't want to go without food for a day and then just realize, oh man, I did it all wrong. What a waste of time. You know, the family last night had, you know, had burritos for dinner and I could have had a burrito and instead nothing. Uh, lastly, their desire was Jesus. Their desire was him. Their desire was to not just not just only know who to send out, but who Jesus wanted to send out. Their desire was Jesus. Whether whether the Holy Spirit was going to say something or not, their desire was for God, and so they set apart a time for fasting and for prayer. Praise God that we we have this liberty to fast. I don't want to say at our leisure, but you know, it's not like every every Thursday we're going to fast or that we're commanded to fast every Thursday. You know, there's just seasons of our lives that come on and we might need to fast. There might be decisions that we have to make, you know, if you have to change from one job to another. You know, if you're going to you know, uh go left or right, if you're going to say yes or no or you're going to, you know, just whatever you're going to do, fasting uh is a great tool that we have. But it starts and it ends. Um, and whether we hear from the Lord or not, the desire has to be the same. I praise God that our God is a speaking God. He talks to us. He talks to us primarily uh, and usually initially through his word. That's one of the reasons why as a pastor and as a teacher and as a preacher, uh, my encouragement is for you to read your word. Um you will hear more from the Lord and you'll hear more quickly this way than any other way. Can God speak to you outside of his word? I believe that he can. I believe that um, um, you best know his voice, though, when you hear what he's already said. You know, when, when Satan tries to mimic God, and that's what Satan does, 
um, he will try to sound like God. Now he won't he won't come and say something completely counter uh, to God's word. He will come sounding like God. When you see Jesus tempted in the desert, you see him quoting scripture back to Jesus. Don't you just find that ironic? That Satan, a fallen being, is trying to quote back the word of God to the very word of God. Like he was. That's that's the epitome of arrogance. So don't think that Satan will come and, and, and say, you know, God's stupid or, you know, just be forsake God. He's going to try to sound like God. And so we've got to make sure that we know God's voice and we can know God's voice through his word. Jesus is what we call a sovereign God. That means he makes the rules. He moves according to his speed. He makes choices and decisions uh, based on wisdom and knowledge that only he has. That is going to lead to more frustration for Christians than anything else. Because we believe that things should be happening a lot quicker. That we have privileged information. And that ultimately maybe we, ha we could make a better choice than he. But God is a sovereign God. And ultimately he moves, he acts according to his plan and not ours. And I've got, you know, I'm only 36, but I, I've lived enough years, made enough bad choices to realize his plan's better than mine. He just is smarter than me. And the, the older I get, the more I realize he's how much more smarter he is than me. Um, and other people realize that as well. Um, but that also also brings me great comfort. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know what the next day will bring. I don't have to have everything all figured out. God already does. Jesus is already so big that tomorrow is in his hands. I simply need to adopt his plan and what that is for me today. And what that will be for me tomorrow should he not return. I'm cool with him coming back tonight, but we won't know the day or hour. So we'll just adapt when that happens. So that being said, that's sort of our last uh, sermon on fasting. There's certainly uh, many other ways to fast and purposes for fasting, but I think these four, um, making a decision or um, being sanctified or separate or, or, or deliverance or being in distress, I mean that sort of encapsulates much of the questions that I face from our church uh, week in and week out. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. And um, just in thinking about our, our our Bible study tonight, we seek to, you know, we have to make decisions all the time. And we just want to uh, utilize fasting um, in a way that doesn't make it a formula, doesn't make it, you know, the trick to get what we want or to know what to say or whatever. But we do. we, we look at the early church and we see that that they had a decision to make. And so they fasted and they prayed and they worshiped. And so, Father, we just seek to, to implement that as well. When we have decisions to make, whether it's uh, individually or decisions to make as a church, uh, we don't want to neglect something as powerful and as potent as fasting. Teach us, continue to mold us and shape us so that when we do fast, we do so in a way that honors and reveres Jesus, that it shows people that we're not just, we're not just religious people, we're not just uh, – uh, inflicting pain upon ourselves to to move God to do something, but we seek something greater than than even the food that 
sits on our plate. We seek the Son of God, the living God, who sits at your right hand. Jesus, thank you so much for for being a God who isn't just all words. You know, as we just discussed a second ago, you tell us to pray without ceasing, and, and then you come to this earth and you pray without ceasing. And you tell us to carry our cross, and we watch you carry your cross. You tell us to die to ourselves, and we watch you die for the sins of the world. That you die to yourself in the garden as you do your will, or do your Father's will above your own. So Jesus, thank you for not being like the other gods of this world, but being the one true God. Uh, we pray, Lord, for these folks who are, are sick and going through some tough times, Lord. We pray for Gladys. You know, she goes for testing tomorrow. We pray for uh, just good reports, healing and strength and peace in her body. I pray for Ethan. I'm so thankful that that even though we had a rough couple days, that things are getting better, that he's getting better, that people are praying for him, and, and there's just a community of people that have gathered around him in that way, and, and we just appreciate that. Lord, we pray for Dave Smith, and uh, we pray that you continue to comfort him and to love him, help him to... Uh, get through this rough patch and get his uh, meds back in order. And uh, we pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for decisions for the family that, that need to be made. Help them to have wisdom. Lord, we pray for, for our our church and the church globally. There is so many people who are losing their lives simply because they tell people they are Christians. We rejoice, Lord, because you know, you've... You've given us just by just by the 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 privilege of being born in this country, we have the freedom to proclaim your name, and we might meet some resistance, but we're not threatened with our lives. And for these folks who are being kidnapped and beheaded, and their families that are suffering, and Lord, we're just praying for them. We're we are mourning with them as they mourn. We are standing with them as they need to stand. And we are lifting them up as, as maybe they don't even have the power to do so. We are interceding on their behalf so that they that they will not be forgotten, Lord. And that you would continue to do what is, you know, make us ready. Make us as a church uh, here at South Bay, but as a church in America, to be ready should we be threatened with the same things. To not recant or to denounce you as our Lord. To not give in to the temptation of Satan to to reject you as our Savior, but that we would boldly stand and live for you with every breath that we have. Jesus, for this these 90 that have been kidnapped, may you return them safely to their homes. I'm just I'm reminded again that, that Christianity is it, it's a dangerous walk, but it's a walk that we follow uh, the one true God. It's a walk in which we follow in the footsteps, footsteps of Jesus. And even when man should, should try to take our lives, he does nothing but, but send us to our Savior. So Jesus, help us. Help us to not grow weary, as your word says, to not grow weary in doing what is right or doing what is good. That we would continue to pray. Just as Gloria said, that we would continue to pray um, to be changed, to be ready, to be uh, equipped to, to support our, our, our brothers and sisters. And Jesus, for those who are doing the kidnapping and doing the beheading, Lord. We we pray for them. Uh, your word tells us to pray for our enemies, so we pray for our enemies. Not because they deserve it, but because we were once enemies of God. And someone prayed for us. 
and our eyes were opened and we and we saw Jesus and we were convicted of our sins and we repented and received the, the grace that you so freely give. We pray that for them as well, Lord, that they'd be like Saul and, and see and be blinded by the goodness of your son Jesus and repent of, of killing your church. And Lord, help us as Christians in a nation where it's relatively easy to be a Christian to live for you each and every day. Jesus, be high and lifted up in this church and in every church that bears your name. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.